This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, June 11th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. Rhetoric over trade became more intense over the weekend as the White House and Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau appear to have picked an ugly and pointless fight with American and Canadian prosperity as bargaining chips. Cato Institute adjunct scholar Don Boudreau discusses some of the continuing wrongheadedness over trade. Over the decades, Congress has delegated vast authorities in the realm of trade to the White House, and they never envisioned those authorities being used to restrict trade. And yet here we are. Yeah. yeah. The, I mean, overall, this delegation, which began more than 80 years ago, has worked reasonably well. It's worked very well. I mean, the you know, tariff, U.S. tariff rates have fallen for, for that and other reasons. But uh, Trump is a new animal. Uh, he is a president who not only said a few nasty things about trade during the election, it's a central part of his, of his campaign. And, and I believe and, and he actually believes it. And to, yeah, to the extent that that is a, 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 an opinion of his right now, it is fairly deeply held. You I can, believe so. You can read The Art of the Deal and he is very concerned about uh, Japanese people buying the crown jewels of New York real estate. Yeah. Uh, and he was very concerned, as, as many Americans were, about yeah. trade with the Japanese in the 80s. Yeah. And, and, and of course, those concerns turned out to be completely pointless, as will concerns about America's trade with China today. Uh, but people are always falling for the fear du jour, and the fear du jour today is the trade deficit with China. So, you know, the, some of the comments that we've heard from the, the uh, president just in recent days, we're recording this uh, at a, on a Saturday um, in early June, and the president has just said he envisions uh, tariff-free trade with members of the G7 or the G8 or maybe the G20. Um, but so, uh, it's hard It's hard to take seriously so, at so, one so level. A couple of things about that. Uh, uh, first of all, I mean, if it's, if it's true, uh, I, I applaud it. Uh, we should all try to envision uh, tariff-free trade. The second thing to say is uh, Trump is so erratic, it's hard to know what he'll say an hour from now or tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow he may say th- something completely different. So... His his words carry very little uh, reason for us to be convinced that he means them in any serious way. And third, and most importantly, um, uh, to the extent that he really does envision a world of zero free tariffs, he envisions it for the wrong reason. Uh, he wants lower tariffs abroad so that we can we Americans can export more. And he's willing to lower American tariffs so that uh, we can export more. The, 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 lowering, excuse, the lowering of our import tariffs, rather, or the price that he's willing to pay to buy market share abroad for American producers. That's, that, 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 that's all the wrong reason. So if, if trade barriers are lowered, whether it be completely or partially, and Trump discovers that American imports increase by more than American exports, the difference being made up by the, by the trade deficit, while I and other economists would regard that to be a happy outcome, uh, Trump would regard that to be a sign of failure. And so he would call for tariffs to be raised again. Yeah, it, it seems uh, it's interesting that there is almost no um, lip service in public given to uh, by this president at all of what U.S. industry needs to produce things. 
And and as we know, about half of the stuff that comes into the United States is stuff that industry uses to produce things often for export. All forms of, of, of protectionism are naive. Trump's form of protectionism is among the most naive that I have ever encountered. Uh, he, he, he doesn't even think consistently with his own stated views very often because you're right. A lot of these tariffs that he's imposing, such as the ones on steel and aluminum, they hit many American producers, some of whom export a great deal. They hit many of those. Those tariffs hit many of these producers hard. But Trump seems to be oblivious to, to, to all of that. He just He's just internally committed to tariffs, higher tariffs. He thinks trade is a zero-sum game. And so if, to the extent that we win, other countries lose. To the extent that other countries gain, we must lose. He believes that trade deficits are a sure and certain sign of our losing uh, or a sure and certain sign of some other country's nefarious behavior toward us. Uh, and, and all of this is so wrong on so many different levels. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what we give up when we have a trade deficit with other countries is it's more complicated than this, but it's not much more complicated than this. We're giving up slips of paper. Well, yeah, yeah. So the, the, that's, that's right. I mean, uh, uh, more fundamentally, what we're giving up, well, well, if that that would be the best of all worlds. We get real goods and services in exchange for monochrome portraits of dead American statesmen. I think it costs like three cents to produce a, you know, a, a Federal Reserve note. Uh, that would be a fantastic deal. But foreigners, of course, are not that dumb. They are in the, the every dollar in the U.S. trade deficit is a dollar that is invested in a by a foreigner in a dollar-denominated asset. It's investments. These are investments that increase America's capital stock. These are investments that mostly add to the amount of machinery and research and development and, and worker training in America that increase worker productivity that causes wages to rise in, in the future. Trump sees none of that. He just sees a trade deficit as a loss. I see it as a gain. To, yeah. To what extent, uh, and if you can, to what extent do trade deficits that the U.S. has with other countries and the world at large uh, contribute to foreign direct investment in the United States? Oh, to, 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 to a significant extent. Um, uh, foreigners uh, can invest in the U.S. in a number of different ways. Foreign direct investment is one of them. I don't have the figures off of the top of, of my head, but foreign direct investment in the United States uh, is high. It is, ex it is increasing. Uh, but even uh, foreign investment that's not foreign direct investment, even if it's equity and, you know, passive equity investment, even if it's helping Americans uh, share the burden of Uncle Sam's out of control uh, budget deficits. Um, uh, all these forms of investments are forms of investments that that increase the amount of capital available in the United States. It's good for the American economy when these investments occur here. We Americans benefit from that. Trump sees it as the opposite. So uh, I am not a Republican. I doubt you are either. But you are correct. Uh, uh, but you know, there was a time in recent memory when the Republican Party was the party of free trade and that it doesn't seem like there is any appetite to push back at all by any uh, you know, serious, substantial contingent of the Republican Party against uh, trade restrictions. And Congress, of course, has the authority to make all of the rules. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, there are a handful of people who I'm sure are, are still pro-free trade in the GOP, people like Justin Amash. Um, I think Ron Johnson is is, is quite 
pretty good on on this issue, but they're rare. The Republicans have shown generally their spinelessness in caving into Trump's uh, uh, ignorant uh, uh, positions on ignorant and economically dangerous positions on trade. Uh, I was listening not long ago to a radio broadcast, a Saturday radio broadcast that Ronald Reagan did in August of 1985. And it's just a beautiful defense of free trade. I, mean, I could maybe pick a nit or two with one of the one or few things that he said, but it, it, it gave evidence of a deep understanding of trade and a principled commitment both to the economics of free trade and the ethical superiority of free trade over protectionism. Of course, historically, you know, going back you know, decades going back to the, the early part of the 20th century, late 19th century, the Republicans were the were the party of protection, and the Democrats were the principal free traders. Uh, that started to change right around uh, World War II, uh, and by the time uh, of the Reagan Revolution in uh, you know 40 years ago, uh, the Republicans had become the party of free trade, and led by Reagan, who, for all his faults, I believe, on just as Donald Trump does seem to be in principle committed to protectionism. I believe that Reagan was in principle committed to uh, free trade. He didn't always live up to live up to his principles. He's a politician. He was a politician. Uh, people, I'm sure, are saying the same thing about Donald Trump. He's not living, always living up to his principles. He's letting too much free trade happen. <laughs> too much trade happen. Uh, but but you you are, you are exactly right to call attention to the fact that the difference between the Republican Party's position on trade today and that of uh, 40, even 20 years ago, is incredibly stark. Couldn't so, be different. If I'm a you know reasonably intelligent person who goes out into the world, I buy goods, uh, you know, I sell my labor. Uh, what should I be looking for uh, to see evidence? Because that that's one of the things with tariffs like inflation. It's it's hard to witness the actual the evidence right before your eyes of the the costs of this policy. This so is, so if I'm looking for that. What do I what am I looking for? You mean the, the effects of protectionism? The pra- yeah, the practical effects. It, it it may not it may not be visible at the at the individual level. Look, fortunately, the United States is a huge economy. Uh, trade is less than twenty percent of, of 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 our economy. Uh, and the churn in our economy is tremendous. Much of it, most of it, having little or nothing to do with trade directly. And so, uh, you know, prices change. They change because of, of inflation. They change because of innovation. They change because of changes in consumer tastes. You have all sorts of things happening at any one time in an economy. And um, the consequences of protectionism uh, can uh, unless they are, you know, the protections measures are are, are uh, frightfully vast. Would be very difficult for an ordinary person to see in his or her daily life, but they will accumulate over time. And if you to if if you to do if you to imagine a a a time lapse uh, photograph of the effects, and you speed up the time lapse, uh, then you would be able to see the changes, but not on a not on a daily basis. And you know, this is this is the uh, one of the great tasks of economists is to continue to point out that which is unseen, and the costs of protectionism are largely unseen. But that fact does not mean that they are not real. They are real, and they are larger than whatever benefits any protectionist measure might might generate. Unfortunately, the benefits of protectionism are easy to see. You can see the steel workers 
who, who get jobs. Uh, you can see the steel factory uh, that, that has reopened. It's very difficult to see the, the, the uh, larger negative effects, but they are larger. And so with, with, for companies that uh, currently exist in the United States um, that consume a lot of steel, tariffs are a good reason for them to relocate. I mean, uh, if there if there wasn't strong enough impetus before, there might be now. It, at, at the margin, it would it, it seems to me it should certainly push some of them to to relocate to, or to to you know maybe change the the materials that they use. You know, start using more carbon fiber or something. But I, I see what you're getting at the the you know Trump's Trump Trump's effort to help American manufacturers is uh, not <laughs> that effort is not furthered by the punitive taxes he puts on them when they buy certain inputs like steel and aluminum. You know, Trump's uh, and, and his, his trade advisors too, they are so misinformed about trade. I will hear them say in one breath, I mean, Peter Navarro, Peter Navarro, his trade advisor, says this often. He says, uh, we, uh, we're imposing tariffs because we're running a trade deficit with China. And one of the purposes of the tariffs, I'm not quoting this paraphrase, one of the purposes of the tariffs is to get China to invest more in America, to, 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 to relocate their factories in America. He, the man is so misinformed that he doesn't realize that whenever China, if China would build a new factory in America or refurbish a factory in America, those expenditures increase America's trade deficit. And so he's, he, 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 he's comically misinformed. This whole administration is the keystone cops of, of trade, and they would be as comical as the keystone cops of trade if they didn't have real guns and real power. Don Boudreau is an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. We spoke this weekend at FECON in Atlanta. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 